And welcome. This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. I think we've got a good show for you today. Uh, We're going to be dealing with Clovis schools and the insidious critical race theory that has invaded our Clovis schools. But first, uh, we've got some opportunities to get involved. So, first one. Um, It's this Saturday. Uh, It's about medical freedom. It will be at Shaw and Clovis, and that is from 10 to noon. If we don't have medical freedom, if we don't have choices as to what we do with our own bodies, do we really have freedom? And they're talking about passports for a disease that is 99.8 survivable. Pretty much if you don't have comorbidities, you don't have to worry. So why would everybody need to take this? I think we need to follow the money trail and think this through. Uh, The next event, Monday night, there is the Clovis chapter of Constitutionalists for California, CFC. And we meet at 630 at 1123 Railroad Avenue. Um, We're talking about all of these relevant issues. We're a group that is very much focused on finding action plans and responding. And hopefully we get beyond the point of just responding and are more proactive. But there are so many fires between the medical freedom the election integrity and what's going on in our schools. It's like we're running around from fire to fire, but we're getting bigger. People are waking up. Uh, The next opportunity is in Kingsburg. That is at the Smokehouse. Uh, That's kind of south of Kingsburg. It's a restaurant. They're meeting at 6.30 p.m., and that's just a dinner meeting. Um, It's an opportunity to go meet a bunch of like-minded, conservative people that truly believe in freedom and believe in the Constitution. 922, that's a Wednesday. There is a school board meeting in Clovis at 1680 David E. Cook Way. I would recommend you get there by 6. I think the meeting actually starts at 630. There will be people speaking about the masks, I'm sure. There will be people speaking about critical race theory, I guarantee. And they need to hear our voices. Uh, For some reason, a lot of the Clovis school board does not think they're accountable. You need to show up because it's a time to act. 928. We have a big guest coming into Kingsburg. Um, he's really been instrumental in suing our governor. That is Mark Moiser. He's part of the Dillon Law Group. He will be speaking uh, on Tuesday night at 6.30 p.m. in Kingsburg at 15,000 Rose Avenue. I've seen Mark speak live before. He's a dynamic speaker. He's an interesting, really smart guy that knows all about the law constitutional law that is a specialty i encourage you to come final thing before we get started you know we just had kind of a disappointing election but what i want to point out is the number of brand new activists that woke up if we thought we were going to turn around this crazy state in one election i really didn't think that was very likely you know larry elder was my candidate and i was truly hopeful But what I want to point out is all of these new people are awake and ready to act. We need to unite because we can absolutely make a difference. You know, when this country was founded, it was 3% of the population that actively supported breaking off from the British, from founding our own country. 3% changed the world and created a beacon of hope. We now, it's our turn to step up and preserve that freedom. So while I was disappointed the other night, 
I'm hopeful for what's happening because I'm seeing beacons of hope all over. Please go out, come to one of these opportunities to get involved. Meet like-minded people. If you sit at home and you listen to the news, you think, well, I'm all alone and I can't do a thing. That's not true. We need to change it. But that being said, I have two guests that I'm kind of excited because they're both very sharp on what's going on with Clovis Schools. Sandy Corosian, and I also have Candace. She's a parent. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, which Who wants to go first and tell me just how did you get started? A little bit about your story. Do you want to go ahead, Sandy, and I'll um, come here? Well, um, I've been on here before, and I want to thank you so much for this invitation again. Um, I started probably really looking into education when my children were small. If there's one thing I regret, it's not homeschooling them, pulling them out. I really dug into education in about 2014, right as Common Core was getting into the schools. In fact, it was a little bit before that. And um, it's gone from Common Core to uh, social-emotional learning, comprehensive sexuality education, how that they redesigned AP U.S. history, and now uh, critical race theory, which after trying to... um, inform parents about what's been going on in education, I had decided not to cover critical race theory because I felt like parents were hearing but not understanding. And But critical race theory, I truly believe, has woken up the American family. And it's the one thing that I've seen parents willing to do something about. So basically my background is education. Um, I would say I'm an activist, and um, I think we can make a difference. Parents can make a difference in what's uh, happening. I'm sure we can, but they have to act to make that happen. They do. Yeah, you. it is not something. It is, we've come to a point. Um, I don't know if you've ever, if you're familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer's, one mm-hmm. of his quotes, evil, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Not to act, or God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. It is now. Now is the time to speak, and now is the time to act. Absolutely. So, Candace, how did you get involved in this? So, I am new in my journey to Welcome. learning about <laughs> critical race theory and getting involved and speaking out. Um, we signed up, my husband signed up, to review some literature that Clovis Unified was introducing to high school students. And um, so, I read a couple books. I noticed that the topics on the books were, were similar. They were uh, police brutality, racism, privilege, um, all the hot topics. LGBT. Some, some LGBTQ content. Um, and so I was kind of suspicious about why both books that we had received were on the same topics. I'm like, okay, I mean, kids can, these are hot topics. I can understand kids on the verge of adulthood, um, you know, need to discuss these things or debate these topics or, um, you know, they should be able to. Anyway, in a classroom setting, if the if the conversation is guided by the teachers um, appropriately. And then I noticed that some, a resource guide was sent with one of the books, and the book was called Dear Martin. Um, and the resource guide for the teachers uh, included 1619 Project. It included um, Ibram X. Kendi. It included BLM, um, Barack Obama. And so I became suspicious as to why every single resource was um, kind of this left-leaning. Um, so a key part is people need to understand where you're getting all of these resources. And the resources were coming from Clovis Unified. 
Um, and this was, uh, I noticed, I looked up all the people involved. They were mostly educators from Buchanan, um, uh, some a librarian, some teachers, some admin, um, all from Buchanan uh, just, that just had rave reviews about this book and, and how it could benefit students in the classroom. Um, so that was concerning to me, to know what was on the resource guide and who provided that resource guide and that this is what they wanted teachers to introduce to kids in the classroom. And so I became concerned after that and I started looking into it a little bit more because I didn't know a whole lot about Ibram X. Kendi. I'd heard about him. Um, I know now that he's anti-capitalist, I know that he's all about teaching anti-racism. Um, oh, through racism. Through, yeah, through, through racism. racism. Yes. Yeah, they call it anti-racism. Right, but. right. What, what did he say? That the future of anti-racism is what, discrimination? What, what he, uh, the only way to undo present racism or past racism is by current racism. The only way to um, undo current racism is by Future racism. racism. Yes. Hmm. Um, and that's in his book, How yes. to Be an Anti-Racist. And anybody thinks that's sensible? Right. right. Really? <laughs> mm-hmm. He's also, interestingly enough, uh, his anti-racism books are going to be featured on Netflix. He's got a deal with Netflix. Um, and he's got a book called Anti-Racist Baby. And they're going to be making cartoons for preschoolers. Um, and so this is what is CS, CUSD is wanting to introduce into classrooms, this anti-racist movement, um, which is racist. Um, so anyway, I learned a little bit more about Ibram X. Kendi. I learned um, about, you know, BLM and, you know, the co-founders are self-admitted Marxists, right. trained Marxists. So that was concerning to me, obviously, because that's this is what Clovis Unified teachers are being encouraged to use as a resource. So anyway. So does the board actually have any idea that this is happening or are they just running around like see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil monkeys? They absolutely have an idea because I've informed them. <laughs> so that good. Yes. So I reached out and I asked them if they had adopted critical race theory. And I got a response saying we CUSD has no plans to adopt critical race theory. And I got a, a response from another board member that said that they are re- introducing culturally responsive teaching which has elements or components of critical race theory. So the two responses from the two different board members weren't jiving with me. Because and, it, and if I can just chime in yeah. a little bit. Okay, so culturally culturally responsive teaching has the same acronym yes. as uh, critical race theory. And critical race theory was actually, the term was coined in 1989 by Harvard Law Professor Derek Bell. Just five years later, Dr. Gloria Ladson-Billing decided that they had to come up with a vehicle that could get critical race theory into our schools. And the term she developed, her vehicle, is called culturally responsive teaching. So it was the Trojan horse that allowed them yes. to sneak yes. in this racist. Absolutely. Oh, and if, if you teaching. if you talk to the board members, it's this fluffy um, description of what culturally responsive teaching is. We want to use culture to um, to teach students so that they learn they learn better because not all kids learn the same, right? So culturally responsive teaching, we're going to foster and nurture this new teaching strategy in order to include all. Students all races. Now, I will say, just in defense of the board, that's how it was presented to the board. Mm -hmm. So the curriculum team, the curriculum specialists, have introduced it to our board members this way. So it does sound good, and it does sound fluffy. But Uh, how do you sell a product unless you make it 
sound good. So do the board members actually do their research? <laughs> well, uh, in my experience, that's I can't say that they did do their research before this was implemented. And I noticed um, that this is something I think that was started in December of 2020. 20. Um, and it was talked about in some IDAC meetings. IDAC for Clovis Unified is Intercultural Diversity um, Advisory Council. Yes. Um, and so the, there were some meeting notes on Clovis Unified's website that talked about how it was being introduced into the classrooms through what I believe they called American culture. I'm not sure what their American it's, culture consists I of. I think that is the class. But I know that it was described as having tough conversations, tough but necessary conversations with students. Um, so anyway, they've got they've got this being introduced in December. I've came across this information on the website in June or July. Actually, I think you got the books in May. I got, I got the books um, in January. Oh, okay. I came across the information on the Clovis Unified website in about in Ju- June or, or July. Um, and so I started looking into it a little bit more. And there was articles all over the website about um, culturally responsive teaching and specifically how it's related to critical race theory. So people need to understand that they've, they're constantly renaming critical race theory. Constantly. And that is on purpose. And that is on purpose. They call it the remix. If you talk to Dr. or if you look at Dr. Shiroki Holly's um, academic articles, um, Dr. Or Gloria Ladson Billings articles, they talk specifically about how it needs to be remixed because, yes, cult, critical race theory has a bad name. It should have a bad name. It should have a bad name. It is anti American. It is, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I believe that Martin Luther King's dream became part of the American fabric. Of course, there's some people that are racist, but I think the vast of majority of us want to and try our very best to live his dream. That dream of we judge each other by the content of our character. With critical race theory, the color of your skin is what's seen first. Mm-hmm. It's the most important aspect of every interaction you have. Mm-hmm. And that is terrible for the oppressor because it automatically makes them bad people no matter what you do. And I think it might even be worse for the other side where they say, well, if you don't have the government to step in, you can't make it. Right. And what kind well, of message is that sending to children? The opposite mm-hmm. of the American right. dream. Absolutely. And they're starting as young as kindergarten or they're starting as young as preschool. If you're yes, if your kids are watching Netflix and anti-racist baby mm-hmm. cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and teaching us that America, uh, racism is actually in our DNA. It's You're in the DNA. Racist. Yes, in it's in the uh, DNA of our institutions, our society. But more specifically, it's in the it's in the DNA of white people. We being the oppressors. That's what the proponents are teaching. Hmm. There. So then, their solution is to just flip that on its head, and, and a different group of people get to be the racist and reverse the racism. Absolutely. Well, the whole goal is. Uh, According to the academic articles that I read off of the Clovis Unified website um, on ethnic studies is to promote minority solidarity Mm -hmm. for the purpose of creating social change agents. That is in the academic articles that were on the Clovis Unified website. That is the, the sole purpose. Are they still there? They are not there. They were removed after I um, brought them to the attention of the superintendent of curriculum. And you got copies of those before before those cowards took them down? I printed them and highlighted them and read them, and now I I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about them. So yeah, no, I've got I've got all of the articles um, on you know, and it, it 
everything that I have learned has been from what I read in those articles, not from YouTube or not from different right-wing websites or books or everything that I learned about critical race theory and how it is being introduced in the classroom is from Clovis Unified's That is a critical point. People need to understand. Clovis is perceived as this great school, and I think it still and has I a lot it of. Was. Great, I, I was, think it has a I lot was of great. The parent kids. who was very proud of my kids being in Clovis Unified. We moved to our neighborhood specifically for Clovis Unified. We saved up our money as young parents and moved to that area specifically for Clovis Unified. So I was. Well, I think it does boat. have a lot of great teachers. It has a lot of great teachers. We've had a, amazing experiences with the teachers that my kids have had so far. So I'm not discounting the teachers, but there are new teachers that are being. They're coming out of fresh out of their indoctrination camps to come and brainwash children. I think that's the big key that people have to understand. Um, even if you, you know, were just out of college 20, 30 years ago, um, as far as schools are concerned, um, critical race theory is just a theory and not all theories belong in our schools. But our colleges have been indoctrinated, like I said, for decades. And so where when it comes to education, it's an academic discipline, it's an ideology, it's a pedagogy, it's, it is the approach that teachers are taught to take in a classroom. And um, I use this example all the time. It's with Common Core, you can walk into a classroom, open a book, and it will say aligned with the Common Core State Standards or CCSS, and it's visibly clear. With critical race theory, you can't walk into a classroom and find a book labeled CRT. You can't find true curriculum, um, anything like that. What it does is teachers are being taught how to teach from a book. So if you were to take the Constitution, which I would be thrilled if I heard that my kids were going to learn about the Constitution. But when the teacher draws attention to it, if she's using the um, Marxist ideology or a political view, she's going to point out that the Constitution was written by white framers, all males. Then she might point out that George Washington uh, and Thomas Jefferson had slaves, which in turn made them flawed men and makes the entire Constitution suspect. I would point out that there are everybody I've known has some flaw. That really? does not mean <laughs> that they don't have good works and good ideas. Yeah. And I'm the perfect example. I am so flawed. <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I knew that's that. why you're not on camera. I mean, you <laughs> well, we're going to go ahead and take a break. So this is Eric Rollins here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. Is not forcing the This is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. I am joined by Sandy and Candace, and we're talking about critical race theory that has snuck its way into Clovis. Snuck its way on purpose. Yep, it is not an accident. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not it was, an accident. It was, it was a purposeful infiltration. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so in my experience with trying to communicate that to board members, um, you know, they, they claim to not know that it's related to critical race theory or um, they didn't know that the people they were bringing in to train the teachers um, had 
the political views that they did um, and that they pushed those political views on the teachers and actually encouraged teachers to discuss um, police brutality and George Floyd in the classroom specifically told teachers to introduce their own political opinions into the classroom. Um, So I've had conversations with superintendents and and board members and um, they all have said that, you know, we didn't, we didn't know it sounded so, so great, you know, on the surface, it sounds fine. It sounds like common sense teaching, but when you dive into who these people are that are peddling it um, and the content, it's absolutely, it's vile. I think, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, one of my concerns is on June 8th, right before summer school started, um, Clovis Unified um, had a contract with a Dr. Shiroki Holly, and over 140 summer school COSD employees um, took took part in this seminar. And Dr. Shiroki Holly is considered an expert in culturally responsive teaching, and he part of his curriculum is also the teaching of gender orientation. So he led this I led this seminar and I am really concerned about these teachers that took his seminar. And if you look Dr. Shiroki Holly up, he's um, very much in support of critical race theory. And he uses his race, what does he call it? The race challenge. The race challenge. And when when school started this year, not every teacher, but a number of teachers on the very first day of school as junior hires and high school students entered the classrooms were asked, what pronoun would you prefer to be called? Um, I don't understand what's wrong with good morning. And yeah. then once you learn someone's name, you say, good morning, Eric. Right. Um, and one of the questions I have, and I've, I've asked this question, is I'd like to know if those teachers that participated in Dr. Shiroki Holly's seminar are the same teachers that ask that question on the first day of school. And if the question wasn't asked, students filled out a student information sheet where that very same question was asked. Which was interesting. Is that in every classroom? No, that's what I'm saying. I, okay. I don't think it happened in every classroom. It didn't so, happen in every classroom, but it happened in, I believe, every school, every junior high and high school throughout the district. So on the same day, all of the teachers went rogue. Because I called about this. My daughter was asked about her pronouns. Um, and so I called the superintendent of our area, and she said that that is absolutely not something that they encourage teachers to do. The district did not direct that. However, on the same day, all of the, all of the schools within our district, junior high and high school, had uh, a teacher or teachers asking students about their pronouns. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm interested to find out if there's a connection between that seminar and so, the teachers that ask those questions. Who's in charge? Who's and in is charge? It, yeah. Is it the board members are claiming ignorance? And what else is being asked and done in the classroom that the board or the district or the superintendents have no idea? Well, there's no accountability if right. they have no idea. Absolutely. Not so, at any level. Absolutely. It, they, if they claim they don't know anything and their job as electeds is to listen to the people and look at how best to educate kids. And I don't think that we've so, got nearly as good a board as we should. Maybe some of those people can learn to step up, but I, 
I've been horribly disappointed in so each I, board member, I've, each board meeting I've been to in Clovis. The I don't know answer is not um, acceptable for me as a parent. We didn't know. We're, we weren't, they weren't directed. Well, it's only acceptable once. <laughs> acceptable you, once, and then when I educate you on it. <laughs> right. It is no longer acceptable. I have a very good friend who was alongside me with several um, education issues, and she pointed out something this week that I thought was good. Um, there's a, uh, I think he's a male student who took a picture of an assignment that he had in his freshman class at Buchanan. He took a picture of the assignment. He sent it to his mother. She then in turn sent it to Channel 30 Action News. And I think, and, and they have apologized. They have spoken to the teacher. The assignment has been removed and apologized. But when are they going to quit asking for forgiveness and instead ask for permission? Yes. Well, you Yolanda Moore, board member, is all about transparency. Yeah. Well, and Clovis Unified, anytime someone runs for the board, that's what they run on. I ran on transparency. But I don't know if they understand what transparency means. Doctors Be- and lawyers on the board, they should know what transparency means. That's yeah. true. Okay, so parents should should have known Common Core was adopted. Not afterwards, not at back-to-school night, before. Parents, when comprehensive sexuality education was adopted, should have known about it before, not after. The same with culturally responsive teaching. The excuse I got from the board was that we're just following the rules that the state as giving us and we have to and our hands are completely tied now that had to do specifically with masks but they considered their hands to be completely tied and they could not act in the best interest of the kids or with their own free will okay what about this um california legislature recently passed assembly bill 101 that is making ethnic studies a graduation requirement now i'm not in favor of it but the good thing about an ethnic studies course it's one class okay it's got parameters. Parents will Curriculum. know. If, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is critical race theory. Parents will know when their child's taking it. They can discuss it with their child every night. It's something you can control a little bit. But aside from something mandated, what we've adopted is being pushed by the United States Department of Education. The USDOE wants it in every, every class, every subject. They're pushing for it. Um, the largest teachers union, the National Teachers Education, is pushing it. And that's important. I think most, you know, they're trying to push union and Clovis Unified. Unions don't care about what your children are being taught. No. They no. only care about pushing agendas. And critical race theory is their latest agenda. I think, um, too, I, my, my research through the articles I found on the Clovis Unified website. Um, there's three goals for culturally responsive teaching. and relevant, like this. Cult- Culturally relevant, culturally responsive, culturally sustaining. They all go hand in hand. They're all... Um, Acronyms yeah, or yes. synonyms. They're all, and they're all derived from critical race theory. They're rooted in critical race theory. Um, but... Um, so... In my studies, I found that there's three main goals. So there's uh, academic achievement. There's um, cultural competence, and then there's social, po- socio-political consciousness, um, and those are the three main goals I'm sorry. for kids. <laughs> so, two out of those three. How do you measure that? How do you measure whether a student is culturally competent? How do you measure whether a student is has socio-political consciousness? And who uh, defines and what who those defines things? That? 
That's so exactly. What standards are my child being held to based on this culturally relevant or culturally responsive teaching? There are three main goals. Um, and how am I supposed to know that their academic achievement is directly related to culturally responsive teaching? Like, how are we supposed to, to know that they're what they're achieving in school and their grades and all that, which grades, by the way, are considered white supremacist yeah. views now? Yeah, I've heard m- math yes. is racist. Math is racist. Well, that's why we have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so that, as a parent, I, I want to know how my kids are going to be graded on these subjects. Well, and it's, it's pulling away from academics. On purpose. On purpose. So just act, uh, indoctrination. I think that. A large part of that larger goal is that they want people that will be easy to control. Yes. Dumbed down society is easier to control. Mm -hmm. And that's truly sad because that is absolutely the polar opposite of what a school board or the whole education system is designed to do. Which means to teach people to think critically. Mm -hmm. Not what to think. Right. But how to analyze and that's interesting, too, because all of those articles on the Clovis Unified website were all singular narrative. There was no opposing viewpoints. So there was absolutely nothing to I, to argue the points being pushed by these academic scholars. They were all for critical race theory. They were all for – and critical race theory, I think I need to point out, uh, culturally responsive teaching is related, culturally relevant teaching is – culturally relevant teaching is related, and culturally sustaining teaching. And culturally sustaining teaching is – frightening because that's they, they teach that they don't want kids to, to assimilate they don't want kids to, to learn english grammar is considered like white supremacist um they have this whole dominant subordinate conversation going on which i've noticed in my high schoolers classroom she had an assignment last year and they talked about the dominant and the subordinate which is obviously dominant is the white culture and then everybody else is a subordinate and if you think about it, that's before this was adopted that's before this was adopted that was going on well my understanding is that the largest group of people getting married in the U.S. are of mixed race. Um, well, my husband's I, Hispanic. My I have. I'm not married, but both my sister and my brother, mm-hmm. they've, they've been married to or either are married or, or divorced. But, you know, they have right. kids of mixed race. Well, they say mixed marriages have increased. Yes. 78 percent. Right. But what I'm telling you is the largest New group of marriages. Which makes it really confusing for kids like mine who are, my kids are Mexican, they're Armenian, they're Spanish Basque, and they're German. So then they they go to these classes and they learn, okay, my mom's a dominant, my dad's a subordinate, I'm somewhere, where do I fit in to this? My daughter's asked me that. She's like, so where does this leave me? Because we've discussed this. I want her to be knowledgeable about what's being introduced. So we've, we've had these discussions. Well, you're lucky having two parent homes and having parents that are involved make a huge difference. And for too long, people have been sitting back and going, well, you know, it's fine, particularly with Clovis Unified, because they think, oh, what a great school, because it has this great reputation. But it's somewhere in the top 20 percent in California. California, these are old pre-COVID numbers, is somewhere between 40 and 45 as far as Mm -hmm. where it ranks in the states. So is that really that good? The only kids that seem to be really thriving in any school district are AP kids. Mm -hmm. The most motivated kids, they tend to have very motivated, very involved parents. But AP classes are actually what we should all be learning. I don't, you know, not to negate those students, but all students should be learning at that level. 
I mean, ideally. That's an interesting thought. Mm-hmm. Because we're, what we're teaching now is dumbing down our children. We are indoctrinating our children. Um, let's take common core math. You take a child who's a numbers child, who is good at math, you know, could be an engineer someday. And we've changed math so much, it's now a writing assignment. You don't just answer what two plus three is. You now have to explain how you got it. And you'll find that some children will say, because my brain told me that. my son. Right? Mm -hmm. And so you've taken the love of math out because children are having to write paragraphs to substantiate their answers. So we've dumbed down our kids. And so, yes, AP students are your brighter students, but I believe that's the level at which we should all be functioning. Those are the classes we should all be taking. I've definitely noticed a difference between my, so my, my oldest is 17, my middle child's 11, and I've noticed a difference between her education, the education she received when she was in elementary school and junior high versus what my middle Mm -hmm. child is experiencing. Um, they don't read books as much. I notice. I'm like, you never have a book to read or a mm-hmm. book report or a, you know. Is that just a difference in teacher or a difference in the whole culture of the school district? Could be. It's it's education in general. I talked to a friend today who teaches at a charter school in Visalia. Everything's on an iPad. Yes, everything. Now, what you have to understand: pencil and paper. Um, I teach phonics in my home, and pencil and paper are everything. When we learn a new phonogram, we say it, we see it, we write it, we repeat it. Children learn by writing answers with a pencil, by doing. I know that um, I have kids will say, oh, I practice my spelling words on my computer. Doing your spelling words, typing out your spelling words on a computer does nothing. Right. I, I don't remember things. That's why my notes for this show are handwritten so that I'll actually remember them. There if is... I did it on a screen... There would is like, something. It'd be almost like it didn't happen. That's how our brain works. So, and um, I know we, um, Candace and I met with three board members, and um, there were a couple times when a board member would say something, and I, I did stop them because they were talking about we do need to teach to the culture of a child, to the race of a child. Because, and I said I disagree. I said in my home when I tutor a black child, I change nothing. I don't change anything for my Mexican children, my white children, my Asian children. I teach them all the same. I don't put, pull out a black American reading book. I don't pull out a Hispanic book for, they are all capable. We are, I give them all equal opportunities to succeed. I think one of the biggest problems with certain ethnic communities is the lack of two parents. But I would point out that there are a couple that are excelling that, that defy that whole logic. Blacks are really not doing well in the inner cities. But the ones that have two-parent homes, there's about a 3% economic difference between them and whites. Because there's time. Mom doesn't have to do everything. Right. But if you look at various groups of Asians, Pakistanis um, or Chinese, there's not very many recent Japanese immigrants. Hmong, um, they're excelling. In this racist country. Yeah. Really? Something's not adding up. It sounds like the culture, the fact that they have two parents, and the fact that they value education, that they spend time and have dinner with their kids and discuss what happened, is truly relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think Very, very relevant. The two speaking on um, how we want to teach to culture, um, what I've noticed in the literature that's being introduced, because that's how 
the critical race theory is being introduced at this point just in the lower levels um, through picture books. And um, one of the moms that I've met through my journey, um, her daughter or her son was given a book called Separate is Never Equal. Her twins. Her, her twins. twins. Um, Separate is Never Equal. And it was a book that was it was a true story. It took place in the 40s. Um, but the content of it was, you know, mean, white characters in the book who were calling the Mexicans dirty and mean or dirty. Go and back to your Mexican, Mexican school. school. Um, and so I'm like, if that's how we're teaching culture, I don't want any part of that. History is important. But for a third grader, is that age appropriate? There's so many things that aren't age appropriate, but is it appropriate in the first place is that teaching culture is that i'm because my kids are half mexican and i know even my sixth grader if she had to read that book in class she would have been mortified so um i don't know if that's the kind of culture i want teachers introducing in well this parent's daughter came home and handed the book to her mom and said this book is very mean i don't want to read it and that book in fact all the literature uh that was handed out to summer school students in k through six all of it came from Dr. Shiroki Holly's seminar. So that was a part of his fee that these books were included and they were put in backpacks for the children this summer. And if, if I go back to those academic articles, the, they talk repeatedly about introducing critical literature to spark conversations. And especially in you know, elementary school, uh, there's no curriculum that's going to go along with it. It's going to be conversations that can go anywhere. The teacher wants those conversations to go. Well, from what I understand, critical race theory... Everything that they say, if, if they feel oppressed, mm-hmm. then, of course, it's completely relevant and yes. real. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter whether it's based on reality in any way. It's, it's how they feel. So that means that because it's how they feel, you can't ever question anything. Right. I don't deal with feelings. I deal with facts. But, yes, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a crazy world if everything is based on how we feel as opposed to facts. Mm-hmm. And I get that. You can sometimes argue what the actual facts are, but if you're not trying to do, use reason and logic to arrive at decisions, I don't see how you can possibly make good decisions. And the kids are not served by not learning that logical process. Right. No, and they're not teaching that, okay, so this is what happened in the 40s, but this is the progress that we've made because they don't want to teach progress. And that's in those articles. Well, as they well. want to drag us backwards. Right. And that's right. why. Because well, this story is no- a true story in this book drag us backwards but also flip the script right so instead of whites being in control now a different group is in control though Mm -hmm. then i guess you'd have to figure out how good or bad you were by how much melanin because you know some people are darker than others Mm -hmm. if we're going to follow this logic right then wouldn't it matter how dark you were and well which shade wouldn't that matter right except (laughs) that whole skin is just how thick I think another thing, kind of ridiculous. as we've mentioned culture a few times, I think people, when we say this is a Marxist ideology, they have, they have to understand the history. They have to know where this stems from. This started over 300 years ago with Karl Marx. Let's come back to that point. We're going to go ahead and take a break. And this is Eric Rollins, the Constitutionalist, here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. And welcome back. This is Eric Rollins here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. And I am joined by Candace and Sandy. We are talking about Clovis schools and critical race theory and how it seems to have snuck its way in and how the board members have decided that 
doesn't really exist. They're pretending like nothing happened. Uh, when I spoke at the school board about this issue, I got zero body language response. And I kept looking at different board members, figuring they would blink. They've been consulted by a lawyer, I'm sure, to not respond or react. Um, maybe, well, a bunch of them are lawyers, but yep. I, I saw it as do, agree or disagree, but you're purposely mm-hmm. pretending like this isn't happening, you spineless cowards. Right. That's me saying that, not the other people here. (laughs) Sandy, you had a point? Yeah, I think it's important. Um, Critical race theory is nothing new. What's changed is the term itself. And when people call it a Marxist ideology, they have to understand that this goes back 300 years to Karl Marx. And he started um, a conflict revolution. And there was this conflict over... um, Oh, let me take a look at this so I don't say it wrong. Over class and resources. So you, back then you had the oppressors and the oppressed. So this, these aren't new terms. And then in 1926, Italian Marxist Antonio Gramsci came along and he introduced cultural hegemony, which just means the um, one race controlling another race or the pushing down. And it's also considered cultural theory. So every time we hear culture or cultural, I know Candace got an email from someone at the district and they used the word culture or culturally seven times. And what Antonio Gramsci said was in order to dist- to have a true revolution, he believed it had to start with culture and that you had to begin by decaying it from the within. So this culture, cultural oppression, oppressed happened a long time ago. And then I think the biggest thing that has affected our education is the Frankfurt School in Germany that uh, began in 1933, and um, it, it its resources were Karl Marx. And then 1934, the Frankfurt School actually moved to Columbia University here in the United States, and they started critical theory, which was a way of organizing the lower class, the oppressed, or the proletariats against the upper class, the um, bourgeois, or the oppressors. And the entire goal was to force a revolution and install communism. And the Frankfurt School, their goal was to, to destroy Western culture, our culture, but specifically our education system. And I truly believe that what we're seeing now with critical race theory Um, It is or has destroyed our education system. And it's nothing new. I I mentioned earlier, it was 1989 when the the term critical race theory was introduced. And Harvard law professor, Dr. Derek Bell, is considered the father of critical race theory. And he's mentioned several times in the academic articles Mm -hmm. regarding culturally responsive and Dr. Gloria, Dr. Gloria Ladson, Geneva Gay. Is another one. Uh, Kimberly Crenshaw. Names that we should be aware of. So we're down to about five and a half minutes. So who wants to go first as to why they're hopeful? Um, I feel like in my experience, I'm I'm hopeful because I've seen other parents waking up and I've been in contact with other moms who are recognizing it. And um, I'm, I'm hopeful that in my discussions with some of the board members that they will do the research that I've begged them to do and they will see how damaging what is being introduced is to to students so i'm hopeful that we have created a dialogue um and that they will be receptive um we will see but 
<laughs> but I'm hopeful. And I, you know, I'm hopeful with the students too, like the, the young man who was smart enough to take a picture of his assignment and send it to his mom. We need more students who are in the classroom, in the thick of it, speaking up um, and, and know how to recognize that this isn't right. This is divisive. This is whatever. I need to, to speak to my parents about it. More open dialogue. So more people are getting involved. More people yep. are getting involved. So I'm very hopeful. Um, you know, I was on a very long education journey pretty much by myself. I, I had, you know, a couple other friends, but just what I've seen just in two months transpire. Um, you know, I don't think Facebook's always a good, safe place. You know, I know that, you know, our information is collected and they know every move we make, but that's how I met Candace. That's how I've met so many and many. And when I met with the board, um, there were five of us and one was going to be there, but she had COVID so it's just amazing how many people have come along. And as I said, um, the American family has woken up and they're beginning to see what's going on. I probably get, well, every day I get private messages from teachers in school districts. I get private messages from parents concerned that want to jump on board asking me, what can I do? And so I'm extremely hopeful. I'm hopeful because of how many parents have pulled their children out of, a, of these government schools. And I call them government schools because they're arms of the federal government. So what are they going to do if they pull them out? Of, are they um, going to homeschool? Are they going to private there's, school? There's a few things. A lot of parents are homeschooling. And it's kind of a scary uh, journey. But homeschooling has risen tremendously the filing of affidavits doubled. In other words, to homeschool your children, you have to file an affidavit. It has doubled Excuse me, since last year. So. And Clovis Christian has opened up a second campus with a waiting list. Fresno Christian is completely full. And I think one of my passions has been, as I've tried to inform parents about what's going on, you know, I walk in and inform, and then I've been walking out. And my true desire is to start a school a school where they have a classic education that we're not worried about the federal mandates coming down from the government that where children can learn to think critically. You know, you, you, you don't teach a child to think critically. They begin to think critically after they have a foundation in education. So we're working on that. I currently have a co-op for homeschoolers. I'm doing that with a friend. So we do have a one day a week co-op. But my goal is to start a school. Just found out that the original first campus of Fresno Christian is vacant. Ooh, that's so exciting. The, and think about all the storefronts. Parents need options. And we that's... do. And I want to give them that option. We want it run at basically like a home school. You file your own affidavit. We, we provide um, the facilitators. We have so many retired teachers. So you have a hybrid model. Kind we of. have a, yes, absolutely. So how do people find out about that? Um, they can contact me uh, via Facebook. Okay. And if you, I, I want volunteers. We need volunteers finding storefronts. We need volunteers finding churches that can help us. We need volunteers that um, are retired teachers, parents that want to act as facilitators, parents that want to run um, our uh, playground time. I want to point out that this pressure, if there is competition in education, the government schools will have to get better or they'll get left behind. That's the goal. And so don't feel bad about leaving them if you have to. I, I hope that Clovis will wake up and that they will begin to change the course of the ship. But, and there's, there's some hope there. 
because they have a lot of good teachers. There's a lot of good people. But there are are alternatives, and I think people need to be aware of those alternatives. Yes. Any final thing? We've got about a minute left. Um, I know that God's in control, and he's still on the throne, and I just trust him every move I make. And I know he's going before us, he's coming behind us, and the moms I've met, it's it's been a very encouraging journey. I've only known Candace for a couple months. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I've known her forever. And I thank you for this opportunity. Yes, thank you so much. We just want the word out. Children are the most precious gift ever, and you need to protect your children. Well, I thank you both today. This is Eric Rollins here on 1550 KXEX, the best talk in town. One final thing. So I want you to give your full name so that they can find you on Facebook. Okay. Sandy Terosian. 